welcome. Uh, glad you guys all are here today. And those of you that join us online, we're glad that you're with us uh, today as, as well. Uh, we are in a, in a time of Lent, and we're starting a new series through uh, Lent called Dying to Live, How God Turned Everything Upside Down. And I always struggle a little bit explaining Lent. People talk about giving stuff up for Lent. Any of you give up something for Lent? I, I gave up news for Lent. I find I'm much happier since I gave up news for Lent. Uh, you know, although I found myself watching strange stuff because about five and seven, it's all news on TV. Uh, and I don't know where Carl is, our, our music director, but I was actually watching hockey, Carl, so that should make, yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to figure that game out. So I'll, I'll just leave that, leave that right there. So it, Lent is 40 days, uh, not including the Sundays, because Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, so we don't, we don't fast on Resurrection Sunday, but 40 days uh, before, uh, before Easter uh, and, and Palm, well, runs through Palm Sunday. And, and and we, the whole point of 40 days, by the way, I don't know if I've said this before, but uh, 40 days in the Bible is a symbolic number, and there's often these periods of time. And, and what it means is at the end of 40 days, God moves in some sort of way, right? So Moses was in the desert how long? 40 years. <laughs> Close. <laughs> and then at the end, God moved and they went into the promised land. Jesus was in the desert 40 there we go. <laughs> and at the end, his ministry kind of rolled out. And so um, th that, that's kind of the, the rough of it. But getting the idea of it's a little harder. And the, the, I make the analogy to Advent. How many of you like Advent? We all like Advent because Advent is, is this time of preparing for the arrival of Christ on earth in the form of a baby. Amen? And we like preparing and waiting for babies. Really? Am I the only one that has grandchildren coming? You know, <laughs> it's like... And so it's, the great thing about Advent, Christmas, is it's warm. It feels wonderful. It feels nice. We talk about a baby. We have a manger, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and that's just a great time. We're, we're kind of in that stage uh, with us. Uh, my daughter, Jana, uh, should have our first grandchild in about five and a half weeks. Not that we're counting, but about five. Yeah, we're excited about that. You know, and so we've been kind of journeying with her. Every, every, about every week, we get a different picture of the baby bump, right? And it's like big now at this point because we're getting down to the end. And um, she sends us pictures of stuff they've bought or they had to change the carpet out with what's going to be the nursery and, and all of that stuff. And, and there's, there's changes in us as well. Uh, I, I, my wife cannot drive by a baby store without spending money. It's like the car just turns in automatically, you know, and, and, and so th that's a part of it. And so here, this may seem like a little bit of a strained analogy, but here's what Lent is. Lent is a time of preparing to celebrate Christ's death and resurrection. It's that same preparation time, only it just doesn't feel quite as warm and lovely as a little baby, right? It's less, less warm and fuzzy. It's, it's focused on things like our sin. <laughs> Nobody likes to focus on that. It's focused on the fact that he had to die to rescue us, that he took the penalty of our sin. It's, it's focused on our responsibility, right? So, so none of us get excited talking about our faults and failures and sins and shortcomings, wow, get really quiet in here fast for this many people, you know? It's just, it's hard for us. And in fact, it's downright uncomfortable for us. But Lent is a time when we are reminded that Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable. Yeah, a few of you got it. Let me try that again. Jesus didn't come to make us, to make us comfortable. No, he, he didn't at all. In fact, Jesus actually, uh, he said a lot of uncomfortable things. 
Just a whole ton of them. I'm going to put some of them up because I just want you to feel awkward because I've been feeling awkward all, all week kind of preparing this sermon. Uh, if you want to live, you have to die. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. You know, again, yeah, I, I think we preachers should start a book of things people will not say amen to, okay? You know, if you want to live, you have to die. People won't say amen to that. Or if, if you want to lead, you have to serve. You know, I just want to be in charge. Why do I got to serve, you know? Or um, if you want to follow me, you have to give up everything and take up my cross. <laughs> yeah, not too enthusiastic. I guilted you into those amens, didn't I? And, and so it's this awkward, uncomfortable we like the promises of God better, amen? Yeah, you can say amen to that because I like the promises better. You know, I like the God has a future for you. I like the, all that, that good stuff there. And so this is a, a little harder. But this is what we sometimes come because it's kind of this inverted world. We sometimes call this the upside down kingdom. That is that the values of this world are in some ways completely upside down from the values of the kingdom of God. And, and not only that, but the method of getting to places is upside down. It, it's the opposite. If you want to live, you got to die. That makes absolutely no sense. It just doesn't in any kind of earthly sense of it. And in God's ways and God's working and God's values are so different from ours. And yet, if you walk with the Lord long enough, you will recognize how God often works in ways that you would never choose to do things in you that you could never have accomplished yourself. And I've walked with the Lord a long time, since I was a, a, a little boy. And there's been a number of paths that he's taken me on that if, that if I could have picked that path, I would have said, uh-uh, we ain't going down there, Lord. Nope, 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 ain't doing it. Oh, don't look at me like you've never had that experience, you know? <laughs> and, and, and the Lord would take me down the path, and, and these are the things that I say, you know, I, I never want to go there again, but I'm so glad the Lord took me to that place to teach me the things that he taught me in that place. You know, you guys have journeyed with me in the last year. I would not have chosen cancer as a way to go in the last year. I, I would have chosen some other path. I would have chosen happy and joyful and blessings and all that kind of stuff. But yet I know that God changed me and grew me spiritually through that time in a way that probably could have been accomplished by nothing else other than something that would literally threaten my life. Because let me tell you, you get focused on what's important really fast in those moments. And so we, we, we've, there's this upside down thing uh, about it. And, and, and it's hard for us because we tend to avoid those other things like the plague if we can all get out of it. We want happiness and joy and easy paths and, and all of that. And, and so let me just kind of give you the essence of what we're going to talk about today. And that is this. Religion that focuses on what God is doing for us is not the way of Jesus. And I'm not against the stuff that God does for us. In fact, I like the stuff that God for, does for us. Amen? I, I like that my sins are forgiven. I like that he's changing me and he's growing me. And, and I've walked with him so long that I can kind of see all the great things he has done in my life. But that actually isn't the main point of what Jesus was going to do. He's done those things for us, but he wants to do more than that. In fact, a religion that's entirely focused on what God do, is doing for us is what we call the prosperity gospel. It's kind of the idea, if you just follow Jesus, everything will be wonderful. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Anyone got that to work out for them? I, I, I just, it, it doesn't work that way. I wish that were true, but it's just, it's not the case. In fact, the disciples actually struggled with this. The disciples would be what we would call in some ways the prosperity gospel. I'm going to need to get the tissues down here. Sorry about this, but one of the uh, effects of the chemo treatment is that 
for weeks afterwards, my nose runs, and so, excuse me. So, so the disciples believed that, that when, they, when the, the Messiah revealed himself in Jesus, that, that he would come as a king and as a conqueror, and he would do away with all of their enemies, and he would set them up as individual kings. That's a pretty good deal. I'd follow somebody that did that, you know? And, and, and he, they had this idea that they would sit at his right hand and his left hand, and they would get to judge people. Ooh, judging people is so much fun, you know? And, and, oh, come on, like you haven't enjoyed that. You know, it, it was kind of what I call the happily ever after kind of version of religion, right? You know, you know what the problem with happily ever after is? It never works like that. Amen. You know, we get that in heaven. I mean, it's just it's just one of those. I mean, happily ever after we Disney has gotten us to associate that with marriage. <laughs> oh, did I laugh there? You know, anybody that's been married about five minutes knows there's no such thing as happily ever after. Marriage is hard work. Amen. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. My wife is my best friend in the whole world, but it's hard work, and, and that's the way it is uh, with, with Christ uh, as well. Uh, it's Christianity, in fact, is just, well, here, let me put it this way. Following Jesus isn't adding religion to your life. It's allowing God to take over your life, Amen. and this is the essence here. If, if all you've done is added going to church as just kind of another thing in your life, you'll get tired of that thing really fast, especially at this church. I'm not a good enough preacher to hold you just because you want to come hear me speak, okay? If you are not encountering God, if God isn't in charge of your life, if he isn't the one that rules over you, if he isn't the one that's taken over, it won't be long before your religion will become stale and, and you won't want anything to do with it anymore. You get tired of it. You'll find other reasons and, and other things. And this is radical, that he wants to take over our lives. It's crazy. It's upside down from the way the rest of the world works and living in the world. And he continues to say crazy upside down things like, bless those that curse you. You ever tried that? Someone's given you a, you know, that's hard to pray a blessing on them. Or to return good for evil. That is not the way of the world. The way of the world is to escalate, isn't it? You know, you did bad to me, I'm going to do worse to you. Or turn the other cheek. You ever tried that? That is hard. Or go the extra mile. You see, Christianity is about becoming more like Jesus every day. Day after day after day after day. And that's really what Jesus talked about. And so I want us to uh, look today at Mark chapter 8, verses 31 uh, through 35. Um, and it is in this passage that, that Jesus finally gets fed up with the disciples and kind of their prosperity gospel sort of thing. And so he kind of lets them have it. He's at, he's at the end of his ministry. He's starting to wrap it up. And so he's beginning to talk to them about the reality that is ahead for them. He's trying to prepare them. And they don't seem to have a place in their brain for this kind of religion. And so uh, he, he helps them understand it. And he says some pretty tough stuff. Uh, beginning in verse 31, he said, He began to teach them that the Son of Man, that is Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And they didn't catch the three days rise again. But if, if you're one of the disciples, you're going, whoa, 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 that is not what I signed up for. I signed up to be the guy in charge. And he said this plainly so they understood. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. 
You see, they didn't want a Savior that died. They didn't want a Messiah that called them to hard things because what disciples did is disciples followed the way of the rabbi. And however the rabbi taught in his life, you did, you did that sort of thing. And so they're looking at this going, I, that, I, I don't want to do that. You know, I want people to like me. Amen. I, 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 and yet you introduce this hard thing. And in really interesting, in the original language, the word for rebuke is really, really strong. It's the idea that he really got on Jesus uh, and that he gave him a very hard time about this. And so, um, by, by the way, getting on Jesus about his teaching is a bad idea. So, uh, next verse. But turning and seeing his disciples, so Peter's yelling at him, right? He turns and sees his disciples, see that they're all listening to this. He rebuked Peter, and it's the same word there. He really got on him. And get this, get behind me, Satan. What do you got to do to get Jesus to call you Satan, okay? Whoa. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the, the, the wonderful part about this is setting your mind. In the original language, it's a, it's a complex word. And the best way I can think about it today is you're not syncing your mind up with God. How many of you have electronic devices you have to sync with something somewhere, you know? The, the, the whole, some of the, the, your browsers got to sync with browsers across other browsers. And, and when it doesn't go, your calendar's got to sync across. My, I have calendars in three places. I have my phone, I have my iPad, and I have my calendar. And if it doesn't sync right, I miss stuff, right? You know, and so like syncing's really important. It's, it's the same place. And, and this is this idea. You haven't synced your mind up with God, Peter. You're, you're, you're off on your own thing. You're, you're not getting what it's all about. And, and really, the idea here is this. To be like Jesus, you must think like Jesus. Hey, it's not just to behave like Jesus. There, there's a lot of religion out there and plenty of churches where you'll find that, that the whole thing is about doing what Jesus did, and it's just kind of, it can kind of turn into a legalism. And I believe in doing what Jesus did. But what Jesus is trying to say is, if you'll get your heart and mind synced with him, the doing part gets a lot easier. Amen? Because you do it out of love and you do it out of the transformation. And he was saying, Peter, you need to sync your mind with the kingdom of God. You need to get on board. There's a deeper thing I want to do in, in your heart. And, and it was hard for him. And then he goes on in verse 34 and he says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, If anyone would come after me. That's interesting because he's already got the disciples there and people who are already following him. So he doesn't mean the casual following. He said, If you really want to be my disciple, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself ugh, not really good at that that's kind of what Lent's about and take up his cross and follow me and, and, and the come after me is I think such an important language there very rarely does Jesus use the language of get saved or, or be saved we use that language a lot but Jesus hardly ever uses it he almost always gives an invitation to come and follow me and, and I love that, and I think he does it on purpose, because being saved is a static sort of thing. I, I can tell you the, the, the night that I prayed and I asked Jesus into my heart, you know. Uh, and, but, but following Jesus, that's, that's a lifelong sort of thing. That's the thing that goes on and, and on and, and on. It's a dynamic sort of thing that God changes us and grows us and challenges us. Come and follow. Be my disciple. Be my follower. Think like the teacher. And so... I would say it kind of like this. Jesus isn't just offering to save us from our past. He's offering a whole new way of life. And, and when we do salvation to simply fire insurance, you know what fire insurance is? You pray the prayer so that you don't go to hell, right? And then that's it, and you're done. 
But when we reduce it to that, we miss all that Christ wants to do in us and through us. The change he wants to make, the deep change. And so he's offering this way of, a new way of life, this upside down kingdom that, where our heart is changed and then we relate to the world in, in new and, and different kinds of ways. And sometimes that, that's hard for us. We, we do this crazy stuff like bless those that curse you or turn the other cheek or go the extra mile. Or at least we try. Or at least we try. Uh, at least we try. Oh, okay. It's just an important part of it. And, and then verse 35. Forever would save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. Outside of the realm of Christ and the spiritual realm, this makes no sense. In fact, this is, this is suicide. This is craziness. Whoever would save his life, and the word there for life isn't spiritual life, it's the physical life, will lose it. And whoever loses his life, again the physical realm, for my sake and for the gospels will save it. Whoever gives up this life is saved through the giving up and through the inheriting what we have from Christ. And then there's that interesting word save or, or save that Christians, especially evangelicals, talk a lot about. I want to introduce you to this word. It's called sozo. Say sozo. Yeah, there's your Greek word. And, and we, one of the translations for it is save, and that's most often. But the word is so much richer than that. It carries the idea of safety. It carries the idea of healing. It carries the idea of made whole. The idea of well-being or made well or recover or restore. Isn't that a rich word? I just, I love this sozo kind of thing. And, and so the sozo isn't simply a fire insurance word. It's not simply avoiding the consequences. It's the idea that salvation is way bigger than that. That God wants to do a work in you and he wants to heal you and he wants to restore you and he wants to make you into all that he intended you to be. That that's what he wants to do, this big thing. And so at this time of Lent, we, we, we move past the kind of shallow salvation and shallow religion that's, hey, I'm in the kingdom and I'm not going to hell. It's wonderful. Great. This is the time when we talk about the fact that God wants to move profoundly deep into your heart and change you from the inside out. That's what he is all about. The sozo. And so, okay, sarcastic pastor, just hold on for a minute. God wants to save you from more than hell. He wants to save you from yourself. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because a lot of things that, that we struggle with are things we do to ourselves. Have you noticed? He, he wants to save your whole being. He wants to make you completely new. He wants to get away from the mindset of the world, which is to hoard. That's why that upside-down kingdom thing, you know. We, 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 we hoard, we hold on to, we gather things that we think are going to save us. Uh, can I just be honest where one of mine is? I've gone to a lot of school and I love school. I tend to think education is very good for you. And apart from the kingdom of God, I would think that education could save you. For other people, it's different things. Some of you are clever and you think that your cleverness or your smartness can save you. Or for other people, it's finances. You think just enough money, I just hoard the money. Or maybe it's material positions. Or maybe it's power. If you just have enough power, I can take care of everything. Or maybe it's fame. I don't know what it is. Maybe I haven't even mentioned it. But for almost everybody, there's something that gets in competition with the salvation of the kingdom. And that's why he says, if you want to live, you've got to die. 
I have to die to everything else that I think would save me. To everything that gets in the way of my relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I have to ultimately trust him. Okay, let me try that again. I have to ultimately trust him. That's at the essence of what this is all about. In many ways, that's one of the most important things I learned through this whole whole process of, of the cancer was that when I had nothing else to trust, I trust God. And you saw that on my things. And, and to this day, I carry that. That was a part of my life before that. I'd said that before that. But it was not nearly as important as it became when they gave me the diagnosis. And I thought, my days are numbered. I'm, I'm coming down to the end here. And God came through and said, you got to trust me. You got to trust me. You got to trust me. Upside down kingdom. I am thankful for the doctors, but all healing comes from God. Amen. <laughs> And I believe he's the one that did it. So here's the, the Pastor Craig translation of all this. Pastor Craig translation, if you want God to change your life, you have to let go. And I don't know what you have to let go of. It's probably different for every one of you. But there has to be a place of total surrender to God and what he's doing in the world and what he's doing in your life. My dad said the thing he had to let go of was a pocket watch. He just kind of, he was struggling with God about what, I don't know, he said the pocket watch just had a lot of meaning and God just kept saying, you got to get rid of that pocket watch, you got to get rid of that. And he finally let go of it and he discovered that a lot of his anger about his growing up years, his dad died when he was 11, was attached to that pocket watch. And when he let go of that, God began to do a work in his heart. What I had to let go of was doing ministry on my own terms. I was perfectly happy to be a preacher so long as I could do it my way. God didn't seem to think that was a good deal. And he was on me, and he was on me, and it wasn't until I finally said, Lord, I'll, I'll do whatever you want to do. I'll go wherever you want to go. I'll go to China and eat bugs if you want me to go to China and eat bugs. I'll even go to Kansas City and live there for 20 years. And he did that one to me. So let go of whatever you think is going to save you. Stuff, power, fame, influence, cleverness, wealth, charm, education. Because you see, ultimately... Two people can't drive the same car at the same time. Amen. Any of you ever had a backseat driver with you? Don't look at your spouse. <laughs> it's getting me in trouble here. <laughs> and it's so much fun when you have someone like that. Now, now imagine that that backseat driver actually has a steering wheel and an accelerator and a brake. They can override what you're doing, right? Can you imagine that trip down the road? Left, no right, no faster. Yellow light, go quicker, no slam on the brakes. You know, just kind of, it'd be a mess. Sometimes we treat God like that. We say, God, uh, you know, you can, you can drive my life, but I'm holding on to the steering wheel and, and, the, and the brake and, and, and the accelerator and all of this. And when God starts to turn left, you go, whoa, we don't go, we're going to go right. We're going to go right. We're going to go down that lane. You see, you both can't drive, and honestly, God won't fight you for the wheel. If you want to drive your own life, you can drive your own life. God will let you do that. But I'm here to tell you that when you let God have control and you throw out your driver, your wheel, and your brake, and your accelerator, he takes you to places that that are hard, I'm telling you. It's, It's just the reality, but he does an amazing sort of thing in the midst of that because he begins to work and change you, and make you like him, and he works healing, saves, I've seen him work healing in marriages, and relationships between parents and child, and in relationships at work, and all kinds of sort of things, because he works, but this is what I believe about this, when you let God have control, he's going to change things, 
<laughs> that one you get. <laughs> oh, yeah, God changes stuff when you let him have control. It's hard. It's, it is hard for us to ride in the back seat when God's driving sometimes. Because, like, he's going way too fast. Oh, no, oh, no. And then he's going way too slow. It's like, are we ever going to move forward, God? And he goes left when you think he should go right. And he goes down past. You're like, oh, no, I don't want to go down that path, you know. And we're tempted to grab the wheel again because he changes things. But ultimately, if you will trust him, if you will trust him, he will give you the peace that passes understanding. And he will do a powerful work. He may break some things that, that you thought were great. That's hard when he does that. He may heal some things that, 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 that you, you would never have thought were possible. And there's that breaking and healing that's so hard. Sometimes when he breaks stuff, it's for your own good. Like I said, uh, I grew up in, in Grays Harbor and my parents were in medicine. My dad was the head of the x-ray department. And, and one of the really weird things in Grace Harbor, there's, I don't know how many of you, any from Grace Harbor here before I say this? Okay, got a couple of you. So I love Grace Harbor, but I'm about to say something. Um, there were like Grace Harbor hillbillies that lived out in the woods, you know. And they were an interesting kind of group of people, but they would tend to like break things when they were out working in the woods and not come in to the hospital. Great community hospital was kind of the one around there. So by the time they would come in, they would have bones that had healed wrong and a little off and all of that. And you know what the doctors did? They would break it again so that they could heal it right. And there may be some things in your life that God will have to break, but he only breaks it so that he can make it better, so that he can fix it. He, he's the one that can do this. And, and I know that, that when you give God control and things start to break and things happen, the devil starts to whisper in your ear, this is crazy, you can't do this. You lose everything that's important to you. This isn't the life for you. You don't want to be this kind of a life. I've decided the devil has three weapons, really. Fear, shame, and lies. And with the lies, he gets at the fear and shame. So let me give you a couple of pieces of his advice as we kind of get close to wrap up. If our musicians uh, could come. Number one, uh, oops, wrong way. Let's try that again. Um, don't let the devil's lies that create fear and shame keep you from what God has for you. Don't, don't, let, don't let the devil, he's going to whisper in your ear, he's going to tell you if you follow God, it's going to be bad, all of that. If our musicians would come, I'm, I realize I'm wrapping up just a little bit early here. Um, anyone object to me wrapping up early? It should go, no, okay. God loves you so much, and he has so much for you, but he can't get you to the right place if you're driving the car. He just, he can't, because we get in the way of all of that. And, and so, um, reject the devil's lies and stand in God's love. We're going to sing a song called Stand in God's Love. And I just love the words. It's so powerful. He talks about, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Shame no longer has a place to hide. There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out the grave. We stand in God's love. And this morning, I just, I just want to challenge you. If you're fighting with God over who's going to drive the car... Would you just let him have the wheel this morning? If there's anything between you and God, would you just let go? Lenten season is the time to, to let go, to confess, to, to let him have control.
of all of this. And we're going to worship the Lord in giving as well in just a minute. Woohoo! Yes, we love that. Uh, and if you're, you're, don't forget to put your communication card. And if you're a guest especially, I'd love to follow up if you'll put that communication card in the offering plate. Thank you for being here. But if you need to make time for God, just bow your head. Or if you want, you can come to the altar or whatever. But man, let God have control. Don't do shallow religion. Encounter the living God. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, pray now, Father, that you would be glorified in the act of worship, of giving of your tithes and our offerings. But Father, I pray especially that anyone that's here that, that needs to let go, Father, that um, they would turn control over to you, Father, that you might take them to the places you would have them to go.